You are listening to A Scary State, and this week we're covering Louisiana. So, Kenzie? Yes, Lauren? Let's get scary. Hi, welcome back, everyone. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) So, we are in our new setup for our recording area. Mackenzie brought some fun... They are technically, I think, Christmas lights, but we're going to make them spooky lights. Mm-hmm. So they're like, you know, the reds, orange, pinks, all that stuff. Then we have a candle going. We got some spooky pictures. I got this really cute print in Frederick, Maryland. It's of two little ghosts together, and it says forever together or something like that. It's super cute. Together forever. Together forever. <laughs> and then Mackenzie got... I don't know. It's like a group of skeletons just kind of hanging out and smoking and drinking and... Not really sure what they're doing, but it looked cool, so I bought it. <laughs> yeah, so we're trying to make this like a little fun recording area. We'll post pictures. Yeah, when it's when it's ready. Yeah, when we get our spooky setup. Yeah, because right now it just looks like someone's back room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really does. This is like our kind of storagey room, so we're working on it. Ooh, I also have a lot of salt lamps. Okay, like Himalayan salt lamps yeah. that give off like that really fun orangey glow. Ooh, yeah. I have one that looks like a moon, and then I have the one up there on my dresser that it's like a little bowl, and it has them in the bowl. Okay. Yeah. I love lights. I love candles. I love it all. Yeah, we'll make it work. We may need to clear out some boxes. Yeah, no, I plan to. The books is a nice touch, though. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. It's just a box of hand sanitizer is a little tacky. (laughs) (laughs) It was from the wedding, so we had all of those hand sanitizers, and then obviously they weren't all used. We ordered a lot. It's fine. I, I bring will it to work. Happily take them for you because I go through hand sanitizer. You like, can take one. One. I need all the other ones. I'm a broke teacher. Two. You can have two. <laughs> you can have two little ones or one big one. The big one's big one. Ooh, one big one. Okay. How many big ones are left? Two. Okay. Yeah, you can have one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, so you want to get into the state facts? I shall. Uh, Louisiana is nicknamed the Pelican State and joined the Union on April 30th, 1812, and became the 18th state. Fun fact, when I... Okay, so, (laughs) my family's from New Orleans, so I'm very excited for Louisiana episode. Yes. Um, But when we went to go see... We went to go see a basketball game, and it was the New Orleans Hornets. Mm -hmm. And then I heard that they were changing it to Pelicans. I was like, why? That's not even ferocious. Like, why would she change it to a Pelican? A Hornet is much scarier. Yeah. And then I realized why. Oh, there. (laughs) All the dots are connected. Right? Uh, Louisiana got its name from Louis the Fourteenth, who was the King of France from 1643 to 1715. So Louisiana roughly means related to Louis. Hmm. Weird laws. Lying is illegal. In the law, lying is called false swearing. <laughs> I like that. I do too. There's a movie about people not being able to lie. And it's just like they're brutally honest. And like it's it's like funny because the guy like lies for the first time mm-hmm. like the first one to lie and like his life completely changes as he's lying oh interesting for the better but people think he's telling the truth because no one lies you can't lie yeah it's very interesting came around to he had to tell the truth at some point <laughs> i figured yeah that would be how it would go mm-hmm. if you want to feed a pig garbage you first have to cook that garbage before serving it to the pig also if you want to hide a dead body you give it to a pig because they eat everything most of the time they don't always eat the bones or the teeth well, then you give it to a dog. To eat the bones. Eat the bones. Well, they chew they on chew it. They chew on it. Yeah, but it would be chewed down that you wouldn't know it was human. Yeah, you would. <laughs> Whatever. I'm going to get away with murder and prove it to you. <laughs> My plan works. <laughs> Maybe no. I don't think we'd be allowed to record in jail. <laughs> they do interviews. 
Plus, I'm going to get away with it, so oh, fine. Oh, there, there we go. Actually, you're right. Mm-hmm. There you go. You may spend 10 years in jail if you steal another person's alligator, regardless of if that alligator is alive or not. <laughs> My mom tells me about all the alligators she sees in Florida. Oh, yeah. She sent me one picture where the alligator was, like, walking on its feet. She's like, did you know alligators could do that? What else would it walk on? I <laughs> this woman is from Long Island, New York, and thought Virginia, Northern Virginia was south enough to not have to deal with snow anymore. Oh. She's never seen an alligator just walking around. Oh, <laughs> like, your precious mom. I, know. I love her. Hi, Mom. <laughs> also, in sulfur, it is illegal to use profane or indecent language while you're on the phone. You would be screwed. Oh, yeah, I would be. For sure. <laughs> oh, did I tell you what happened on the very last day of school? Did you say a bad word? I went the whole year, the whole horrendous, crazy year that this was, and I was so proud of myself. I didn't drop a single curse word. Oh, what word did you say? So Allie gave me this cute little, like, basket because I'm moving grades, Mm -hmm. and she said something, I don't know, some sarcastic thing, and it was the last day of school, so half the kids are gone. It's like this environment where I don't realize students in front of me. And I'm like, oh, bitch, shut up. And then, like, she freezes, I freeze. And it took me a second. And I was like, oh, my God. And my kids are losing it. (laughs) This was the moment they have been waiting for. You know it. It is two hours until the end of the day. And I went this whole year without saying anything. And trust me, I was close numerous times. Oh, I I know you. Yeah. And the last day. And it wasn't even towards one of the kids. (laughs) Well, then I think that's the accomplishment. There you go. But yeah. So <laughs> I, I would be screwed. And that's it's worse during the school year because I can't do it yeah. for the whole day. Mm-hmm. So then I unleash yeah. once they're gone. <laughs> Sometimes right before they're gone. Yes. <laughs> Sometimes I have to be careful because I talk loud. I know you do. And when I'm really excited, I talk louder. <laughs> so I have to be careful. <clears throat> An interesting fact. Some natives... <laughs> Some natives of Louisiana consider themselves Cajun or Creole. Cajun refers to the cross-mix of several ethnic groups, including French Creole, Spanish, German, and Anglo-American. The word Creole comes from the Spanish word Creole, which means one from the colony, which in what I talk about today, I touch on where Creole comes from, too. Hmm. The French side. Uh, the Louisiana State Capitol building is the tallest of all state capitol buildings at 34 stories, standing at 450 feet or 137 meters high. So obviously, New Orleans is located in Louisiana, and it is one haunted place. There's a place called Storyland in New Orleans. It is a city park that is decorated with all sorts of different fairy tales and stories, like Humpty Dumpty, Alice in Wonderland, Little Po Peep, just to name a few. I would really like to go there. I will take you all over. I just love the things where it's like like fairy tales where you're like transported into another world and like you I can, can take walk you around to Mardi Gras that. world where they oh yeah that we can so see cool. all the old floats whenever we decide to take our trip there oh we will on our mini moon we will <laughs> <laughs> the infamous run of Bonnie and Clyde ended in Gibbsland Louisiana today there is a monument at the spot where the two were killed by gunfire it is said that during a full moon if you visit this spot you can still hear the gunshots I don't know why I didn't associate them with Louisiana I didn't yeah I. Don't really know much about Bonnie and Clyde, except for, like, the basics. Yeah. I guess I don't really know that much either. And then there's a song. There's a lot about them. There's, like, movies, songs, things like that. A lot of people, like, um, Nora covered Charlie Starkweather, someone Starkweather, and he had done a lot of crimes with his girlfriend, I think it was for Nebraska, maybe. 
one of the states, um, obviously. And they were, like, called the Bonnie and Clyde. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, any guy and girl who commit crimes together, Bonnie and Clyde. Clyde. (laughs) I had two fish that I named Bonnie and Clyde. You're the Bonnie to my Clyde. (laughs) (laughs) The Beauregard Parish Jail that is located in DeRider is believed to be one of the most haunted places on Earth. As they all seem to be. Do you know how many times? Now that you have said Mm -hmm. that everyone does say that. Yep. Because every place is like, it's the most haunted one. It's like, is it? Is it? And I didn't notice that until you point. Yep. We'll find the actual most haunted place. Okay. And we'll go there? Uh, No. (laughs) (laughs) I almost got to and it would have been recorded. (laughs) According to research from Radford University, shout out to my alma mater, holding up a peace sign as if they can see this, (laughs) and Florida Gulf Coast University, Louisiana is in the top 13 states with the largest number of serial killer victims at 300 since 1900. Jeez. That's a lot. That is a lot. Louisiana has four known serial killers and one unknown serial killer. Hmm. Well, I'm not talking about either of those. What are you talking about today, Lauren? So, I know that you are covering something that, when people think about it, they think of New Orleans. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty of spooky things in New Orleans that we could easily talk about that would take forever. But I wanted to try to expand it a little and find something not New Orleans to talk about. To include all of Louisiana. Fair. So, I have a little hodgepodge of stories today. Love it. So, I mainly wanted to talk about some haunted roads and bridges, because I do love me some haunted roads. So, today I have a few, but one of them has quite a few creepy things to talk about. Related to the bridge. Okay. Road thing. So before I talk about haunted roads and bridges, I first wanted to talk about a very dangerous bridge in Louisiana because that is scary. Scary. (laughs) Okay. So it's the Calcasieu River Bridge. This bridge, built in 1951, is located in southwest Louisiana. Though it was built in 1951, it didn't open to traffic until 1952. And here's a quote that I couldn't say any better. It brings I-10 and U.S. 90 West from Lake Charles into Westlake. In the 50s, it was the U.S. 90 bridge alone and was later grandfathered into an I-10 bridge. Hmm. I didn't know how to say that any differently, so I just said the thing. That's fair to me. Yeah. So when this process was taking place, the government promised to fix and replace the bridge as as it was not originally designed to be an interstate bridge. This is important because now that it is an interstate bridge, it gets a lot more traffic than it was originally built to handle, as in more than 70,000 travelers a day. Jeez. Yeah. But that promise never came to fruition. So after decades of this road receiving more traffic than it could handle, the DOT, the Department of Transportation. Oh, my God. VDOT? That's what that stands for? Yeah, I didn't know that either. Isn't that so cool? I was like, what is the DOT? Like the DOT? Yeah. Department of Transportation. It's like when you're driving on 495 and you pass the exit that they always talk about in traffic. No, just me? Never mind. Take that part out. (laughs) So they have rated this bridge as being structurally deficient, giving it a rating of 24 out of 100. Oh my god. 24. Travel and Leisure, the travel magazine, has put this bridge on a list of, quote, America's most dangerous bridges. It came in at number seven with a sufficiency rating of only 9.9 out of 100. Yeah, it's really not good. Oh my god. So let us know if you've ever traveled on this dangerous bridge. Because that sounds absolutely terrifying. Don't. The Bay Bridge was on there. The Chesapeake Bay Bridge. Oh, I hate that bridge. I know. I'm not a big fan of either. But yeah, it was definitely on the list. I white knuckle it all the way across. So now on to the spooky and scary bridges and roads. So the first one is the Bayou Torchu Road and Mary Jane's Bridge. So Bayou Torchu Road is located right outside of Broussard, Louisiana, right in the heart of Acadiana. And I really apologize. Acadia. I really... Acadia. Well, it says Diana, Diana, a K Diana, a K Diana. I don't know. I looked up all of these things. 
They are difficult, and they give well, you like them are French too. Which I know they throw in all sorts of letters that you don't. Say. I know, and they give you like you go look it up online, and they give you like fifteen different pronunciations for the same word, just based on what language you're trying to look at. Right, it's a whole thing. I really tried. I promise. So. This road and bridge are known for the many rumors that swirl about it. The rumors all began with a couple in love, Mary Jane and her prom date. The two came to this bridge one night to hold hands and get some alone time. But something horrible <gasps> happened. Holding hands. Scandalous. Scandalous. But something horrible happened and she was never seen again. No one knows exactly what happened to Mary Jane, but many believe that her date, trigger warning, raped then killed her, tossing her body into the mm. bayou below. Her body was never found and no one was prosecuted for her murder. But this isn't the only possible gruesome story about what happened to Mary Jane. So some say that Mary was actually killed by, quote, an axe-wielding serial killer in the early 1900s that roamed the area. So while no actual date is associated with Mary Jane's death, if the fact about an axe-wielding serial killer is true, we can actually narrow down the dates. Hmm. Because there was an actual serial killer active in the early 1900s who killed people with an axe. In Louisiana. Uh-huh. Hmm. He was known as the Axeman of New Orleans. Ooh. And he was active in the area from May 1918 to October 1919. And I'm not covering him today, but he may or may not show up on a list the next time we circle back to Louisiana because he does have a pretty cool story. Um, kind of. I mean, it's a cool story. <laughs> Other than the people he killed, but after that, it was cool. Look, we're a spooky podcast. Yes. <laughs> we're doing these things because we find them interesting. And you're listening because you find them interesting. Yes. So hopefully you don't put too much of what we say into And this whole this part of the story and then what you cover just tie beautifully they tie beautifully into a show that i watched i'm trying to convince you to watch american horror story uh, i have a thing about that but go ahead coven it's so good no go ahead joan i just watched it okay i i, I watched a video about it too and i have some words <laughs> i was like oh my god i have to bring this up so oh my gosh okay i can't wait okay so some have been led to believe that mary jane was one of the axman's victims a quote from so why didn't her boothane die i don't know i think it was in it could have been. There's no way to know. Or it could have been just, like, there was just a Mary Jane and it didn't have anything to do with this other couple. Oh, fair. Like, it could just be, like, her story. Okay. So, a quote from 973thedog.com, and the dog is spelled the D-A-W-G, says... The only way to spell dog. Quote, some associate the bridge with satanic rituals that have been rumored to take place nearby. Other people claim that all of the tales of paranormal activity are a hoax. Indeed, a serial axe murderer who went through the area in the early 1900s may actually be responsible for inspiring local lore about the bridge. Hmm. Which I think is really cool. So, of course, this sparked numerous rumors of people claiming to see a young woman's ghost on the bridge, often surrounded by a white light. It is said that the ghost is still haunting the bridge looking for her killer. And also, not surprisingly, others say that this bridge has become a place for satanic rituals, as they always do, because would it really be a haunted location if that rumor didn't come up at least once? Right. A police officer in August of 1985 did have an experience with the young woman ghost here. He did report seeing a young woman standing on the bridge wearing white. The woman asked the officer for help, then just stared at him in the eyes right before immediately disappearing. The yeah. officer had been afraid to cross this bridge ever since. There's another rumor that if you drive to this bridge and shut your car off, the woman will magically appear at your car window staring Absolutely. at you. <laughs> Hauntedplaces.org has a comment section where people can share their experiences of, like, these different haunted locations. Yeah. I tried to look for the Wyoming thing, and they were like, comment below, and there was no, no comments. comments. So <laughs> these places I found definitely had comments. Okay, good. So Devin B. posted back in 2014. Uh, so they said that one night they were at the bridge setting up a fish trap. They shined their flashlight into the water to look at the hook that they had just attached and found a frog on it, which apparently is a good thing. 
But that's not the only thing that Devin saw in the water. In the water next to the frog was a lady's face who was wearing a long white dress. The poster left all of their equipment and booked it out of there. They only lived about two minutes from the bridge, and this is the only paranormal experience they have ever had here. Another poster named Sky also posted in 2014 and said that they had come here one night with a few other people. Their flashlight's full battery completely drained and they felt incredibly cold. They then said that something touched their shoulder and they felt a jolt that felt like static electricity. And then another poster named Trevor posted in 2017 and said that his bike tires turned out as he was crossing the bridge and sent him flying. Oh my god. So no dangerous. And then we have Marlin's Bridge. So the history of this bridge begins back on November 3rd, 1863 with the Battle of the Bayou. I looked it up again. Bayou Bogbu. Baobu. I don't know. I promise I looked it up. I just, there weren't any pronunciation videos for this. It just, I had to figure it out by reading things. (laughs) So a Union campground was located just east of this bridge when it was attacked by the Confederacy. Unfortunately, the Confederacy was victorious and even managed to capture a Union artillery piece. We don't like the Confederacy, right? Correct. Okay, just making sure. This piece, But be- we were a part of it. Yeah, I know. Okay. Doesn't mean we have to like it. Correct. So that piece belonged <laughs> to a young corporal named Marlin. In order to get his gun back, Marlin fought off seven Confederate soldiers. Then he charged back over the bridge to Lafayette. For his actions, he was awarded the Medal of Honor and had the bridge named after him. And one would think this battle is why the bridge is haunted, but that is not the case. <laughs> the haunting started in the early 1900s. I just wanted to give a little background of the land first and mm-hmm. why the yeah. name is there. So a woman wearing white was heading to a nearby church to get married to her fiancé. Hours passed from when the woman was supposed to arrive, so members of the congregation went looking for her. In order to get to her house, the first place they planned to look, they had to cross Marlin's Bridge. This is when they saw a horse and an overturned buggy. They immediately went to search the area and unfortunately found her body in the bayou near the bridge. From that day, hauntings have been reported at this bridge. People complain about the radios turning on and off, on and off. Others have even reported seeing a woman in white just hovering over the bridge. It is also said, just like the other bridge, that if you park at night and turn your car off, the ghostly bride will pay you a visit. Why are people turning the car off? Because people want to test to see if things are real, and then get scared when things are real. (laughs) (laughs) Someone who visited the bridge said that the radio thing doesn't happen, but people do often report seeing a woman or even a ball of light on the bridge. The poster even said that he saw the woman late at night once while he was with his dad. Again, went to the comment section of hauntedplaces.org. So Jacob in 2014 said that he was once on the bridge and whistled a tune only for that exact tune to be whistled back to him from the other side of the tree line. Oh, no, no. (laughs) No. (laughs) And also, I read somewhere, like something somewhere that you're not supposed to whistle at night because it's like a bad omen. It like, it brings like spirits to you and lets them know where you are so you're never supposed to whistle at night i mean i can't whistle so i can't either so i don't don't have that problem this problem but i think about it often no kidding (laughs) (laughs) so a person named casey who posted in 2015 talked about how they bought property near the bridge their dogs display odd behavior near the bridge they have seen unexplained lights and movement in the woods next to the bridge and more than once they have heard children's voices coming from the woods at times and places where no children would be oof Brittany posted a picture in 2016. The picture appears to be of a man, and there's a weird, strange mist in the darkness behind the man in the photo. Jane posted one in 2017. She had spent a couple days camping in the area and posted a picture that she took. The picture shows what looks like two soldier spirits. Like, it's actually a really cool picture. Yeah. I'll find it and I'll show you. Okay. Melanie also posted a picture in 2017 of the bridge. At the end of it, on the left side, it looks like someone or something is walking there. Mm -hmm. The poster said that they didn't see anything when they were taking the picture. It just appeared in one of the photos they had already taken. And then we have Bayou Sail Road. 
The next road is kind of my, like, hodgepodge road of all, like, the weird, creepy things associated with it. Mm -hmm. So Bayou Sale Road is quite the infamous road in Louisiana and is even known as the most haunted road in the entire state. The most. (laughs) (laughs) Located in southern Terrebonne Parish, Bayou Sale Road, also known as LA-57, runs from Deloc, Louisiana to Cocodri, Louisiana, which are two very swampy areas. And this area has a deep history. Oh, God. There are names coming up. (laughs) I really am trying my hardest. You got it. At one time, there were many plantations in the area as both French settlers and Native Americans, the United Homa Nation and the Baloks Chittimacha Chokta Nation, had all claimed different parts of the area as their own. This could also lead to the fact that many of those settlers and Native Americans are probably buried on the property and under the road. Mm. Louisiana's archaeology division has reported that there are over 311 burial sites all over this area. Oh my god. This long and windy road has a few spooky hauntings. There's a popular story of the phantom hitchhiker. He will do the typical hitchhiker stance with his thumb out, waiting for a nice driver to stop and pick him up. Um, So my favorite hitchhiker quote, have you ever heard this? Okay. So the quote goes, picked up a hitchhiker last night. He said, thanks. How do you know I'm not a serial killer? I replied, the chances of two serial killers being in the same car are astronomical. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. That's funny. I love that. Um, And sometimes that hitchhiker who you just picked up will disappear. But if you do pick him up, he will demand some things for you before he is willing to get out of your car. He will either demand treasures or the super simple soul of a passenger. But there is another version where he demands the soul of a passenger in exchange for treasure. So you don't know what you're going to get. But either way, picking up a hitchhiker probably isn't the best thing to do and probably not the smartest idea. Yeah, don't do it. Not only is the spirit of a hitchhiking man seen on the road, but so is the spirit of a lady. She is seen reaching out to vehicles as well on the side of the road. One resident local to the area, Jesse Pierre, has reported that he often sees many spirits on the road, quote, particularly the faces of people that have died plastered onto other people's bodies. Oh my god. Doesn't that sound so disgusting? It just sounds very disturbing and very terrifying and something I would absolutely never want to see. No. It is also briefly believed that the mafia would come to this road and throw the bodies of their victims into the water, allowing the alligators to feast. The souls are said to roam the road. Maybe that's how I get rid of my dead body. There you go. Throw it to the alligators in the swamp. Mm -hmm. And there are plants that line the road add to the creep factor. There is a grove of huge oak trees that died when saltwater came into the area. Their looming size and bearing branches add to the spookiness of the road. Again, I went on to places.org and their (laughs) comment section. So in 2016, Kim said that she was driving down the road at night. It was a clear night. Her high beams were on and she was going about 40. She recalls nothing was in the road. But all of a sudden she hit something. Something hard. Something so hard that it actually cracked the plastic pieces of the grill of her car and bent her hood a little bit. Oh my god. She had no idea what it could have been. Then Eric posted in 2017 and said that his mom had lost an hour of time while traveling down this road one night. What? I hate the losing time things. That freaks me out. How do you lose? So you'll be time. like, say, you know, the bridge is like a 10 minute drive, right? Yeah. You start the bridge at 11 p.m. Well, by the time you've just been driving the whole time, you get off the bridge, it's 1 a.m. So it's like, where Dude. did two hours go in the 10 minutes it should have taken you to get across the bridge? No, thank you. No, I hate stories of lost time. I get that on the weekends when I black out. I don't either. <laughs> That's not <clears throat> as supernatural or paranormal. What happens between. My blackout self and whatever else is none of my business. (laughs) (laughs) That is more true now than ever. Mm -hmm. Joe posted in 2017, not my Joe, different Joe. He said that one night he was driving down the road with his wife. At the same time, both of them saw a tall man walk into the tall grass and disappear. When they got to the spot in the grass where the man had walked, the grass was completely undisturbed. Why would you follow? Well, they like drove up because he was on the side of the road and walked in. So they drove up and like looked and couldn't see him. 
or any path that he would have cleared. This is why I could never be in a scary movie because I'm not one of those people that goes towards. No, the I would absolutely thing. run. I would just immediately be like, no, not going to do that. That's how you get killed. I'm going to go, go this way. way. Yep. I'm going to turn on all the lights, not going to run in high heels, not going to call out who's there. Yeah, right. So Kate posted in 2021 and said that her sister was heading to Kokodri one night around 9 p.m. She saw a hitchhiker on the side of the road and slowed down so that she could safely pass the hitchhiker and not hit him. Right as she was getting closer to the man, he disappeared. Whoa. And lastly, Sherry posted a picture in 2019. It is a picture of the grassland area, and it looks like a big animal in the middle of the field. And she believes it to be the Rougarou, who I will talk about in just a second. Okay. So the Cajun version of a werewolf, the Rougarou, is also known to haunt this road. People traveling down the road have reported having to slam on their brakes in the middle of the road to avoid hitting the creature. Oh my god. What I liked about this road was I got to talk about a creepy road, which I enjoy, mm -hmm. and I also got to talk about a cryptid or creature that's seen on the road as well, which we haven't done in a little bit. Kill two birds with one stone. Exactly. So let me talk about this creature. Okay. So the Rougarou. This creature got its name from the French word of werewolf, which is loop guru. The Rougarou is a half-man, half-wolf. He has superhuman strength, speed, and long, sharp claws and teeth, so it's pretty much a cousin of the werewolf. He prowls the swamps of Louisiana looking for Catholics who have either broken Lent or who have broken some other Catholic rule, which I feel like would be very easy to do because there are so many Catholic rules. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Once the Rougarou finds a bad Catholic, he will hunt them down and suck their blood. He is able to feed on their energy for up to 101 days. For this reason, the Rougarou is a very popular costume during the Courier de Mardi Gras. So it's a way to remind people what will happen if you don't keep your promises during the Lenten season, which happens to begin after Mardi Gras. I whipped better because the things that you do during Mardi Gras <laughs> not very Catholic. Um, but this isn't the only <clears throat> version of the Rougarou tale, as there are many different ones. In another version, when a human turns into one, on the nights of a full moon, the creature will roam the streets of a small town. They will then wreak havoc throughout the entire town and won't stop until someone shoots or stabs them. Oh my god. But why do they have to be shot or stabbed? Because once the first drop of blood falls, the creature turns back into a man. Usually the Rougarou know who the killer is, because as he takes his last dying breath, he will tell his killer to not mention the incident to anyone. Because if that person does, that person will be sentenced to the same fate of turning into one. So I guess if you mention that you see one or know who it is, you'll be sentenced to that same fate. Which, wait a minute. Then how did the legend come to be if you're not allowed to talk about it? I don't know. There are other tales, Mackenzie. I'm just saying. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. So that would make sense for this next tale. So this one that involves the Rougarou also involves a married couple. So apparently the wife wandered into the woods and ended up making eye contact with one. This broke some spell and he was able to turn back into a human. The wife knew that if she told her husband what she had seen, she would be under the Rougarou spell forever. So she decided to keep it a secret for 101 days. That was the only way that the spell could be lifted. So I guess it's along a similar vein with like seeing one, locking eyes and having to keep it a secret so you don't turn in one. And in this case, so you don't fall under its spell. Then we have a version that involves a young boy. So in this one, a young boy is on his way home when he notices that he is being followed by a large white dog. The dog is annoying him the entire walk and urging the boy to attack him. How would you know that the dog is urging you to attack it? If it can talk to you. Oh. <laughs> dog was giving me eyes. Eventually, the boy is too much of the annoying dog, so he takes his knife out and slashes the dog open. But as you can guess, this was not a dog. It was a Rougarou. So, with the first drop of blood falling, the Rougarou turns back into a man. He tells the boy that he ended up as a beast after he sold a soul to the devil. This time, the man urges the boy to not tell anyone about their encounter, but unfortunately, the boy's not very good at keeping secrets. Soon enough, the boy starts to disappear at night until he eventually turns into one, never to be seen as a little boy again. 
So with these versions, I wanted to touch on how one becomes a Ruguru, though it seems like we sort of know how from the stories I just read, but there are other ways to do it. So you won't become one in the same ways you may become a werewolf through like a bite or a scratch. So a Ruguru is actually a human who has been placed under a spell, one that is not easy to break. Folklore tells us that it will have the opportunity to turn back into a human after 101 days, if and only if they are able to find someone to transfer this curse or spell to. One day to do that is that on the 101st day after the curse has been imposed, the Ruguru has to find a human who will willingly draw their blood, so that whole first drop falling thing. This will break the spell, and the Ruguru will turn back into their human form and will be allowed to be in that form permanently. Another way is for it to make eye contact with an unsuspecting person, because the eyes are the windows to the soul. Mm. So that helps explain the story of the woman a bit better. Right. But other accounts say that there's actually no escape. Once a person is cursed, it is permanent. With this one, the person is forced to transform into one every night and then back into a human at sunrise. But the drawback of this one is that when in human form during the day, the person looks weak, sick, and vulnerable. Other legends say that the transformation is similar to that of the Wendigo, which I did a whole episode on, actually. Um, But if a human eats another human, they will also become a Ruguru. Origins of the creature go back many, many years and has all come together from different creatures and different cultures. The cannibalistic nature of the creature comes from the tale of the creature that I just said, which I don't want to repeat because saying its name is bad. The height comes from the tales of Bigfoot. The wolf-dog appearance comes from tales of werewolves and scaring children and adults into doing what's right. And that comes from the tales of the boogeyman. So if you find yourself facing one of these creatures, there are a few ways to protect yourself. Some legends, Lay it on me. <laughs> some legends say it can be killed by fire, but others say it can only be killed when it's in its weak and vulnerable human form. But if you aren't one who actually wants to face the beast, there are other ways to protect yourself. So legend says that if you place 13 pennies at various entries you wish to protect, you will be safe. The Ruguru will stop to count the pennies, like the boo hag from South Carolina, <laughs> but it's awful at math and can only count to 12. So after, tw- <laughs> so after 12, the creature gets confused and will have to start over at 1. This process will occur over and over again until sunrise when it is forced to turn back into its human form. My teacher ass would be like, okay, you got it this time. All right, what's <laughs> like, after 12? Encouraging it to get to 13. <laughs> but we're happy that it can't count past 13 or True. past 12. So I found a story on the cryptid Reddit forum. The user's profile has been deleted, but they did give permission for anyone to read it as long as they read it word for word. So that's what I'm going to do. So it is titled, My Encounter with a Ruguru, a.k.a. Louisiana Werewolf. The story goes, quote, So this happened to me a few years ago. I was visiting a friend's house in the Houston River area. That section of the river is pretty swampy, so we were frog hunting at night. It was a full moon, so it made spotting the bullfrogs easier. Super tasty, by the way. Anyway, we're wandering down the riverbank when we heard a sound. All went quiet. Not even the crickets chirped. We heard dozens of frogs dive into the water. We knew then that something was very wrong. Then came a distant growl, like something evil from the other side of the river. We killed our Q-beams, spotlight, and watched from the direction of the sound. What I saw chilled me to the bone. It was like a massive wolf with patchy black fur, yet no visible skin on its head, only a skull with empty eyes. <sighs> it appeared to be locked onto other prey, so we shut our lights off and watched for a moment. Looking back, it was really stupid to not flee right then. No kidding. <laughs> it ran back in the woods and started running down the river. We decided to dip out and get as far away as possible. Stupid men. So... <laughs> So I have another story I found on phantomandmonsters.com. The story started with the description of a Beauregard Parish, Louisiana property owner, and his young daughter encountered an utterly terrifying upright canine near their home. That was the description of this story. (laughs) So the story goes a little something like, the owner, PB, was walking down the driveway with his five-year-old daughter. Soon they approached a dead 90-pound bobcat. There were no apparent wounds or blood, but it looked like it had been crushed and battered. PB was concerned seeing the animal, not because it was dead, but because nothing had fed on it. 
As he and his daughter were looking at the carcass, he noticed movement in the dark, thick woods near his driveway. As he was looking, he noticed a wolf-like head rise above the brush. The head was large and had grayish-black fur. PB quickly grabbed his phone and took a picture. That caused the beast to release a deep, growling sound as it stood up. He took note that the creature was at least seven feet tall and covered in sparse blackish fur. It had broad, human-like shoulders, a wide chest, a tapered torso, and muscular arms and legs. Its eyes had a weird greenish hue. As the beast took a big, long stride forward, PB and his daughter took one back. The beast stopped, looked at the two, and let out another deep growl. BP's daughter let out a scream, then seemed to startle the beast and sent it running back into the woods. The picture that he was able to snap honestly isn't great, and I wasn't able to see anything discernible in the picture, but I guess there's something in the picture. And then ximplore.com slash cryptids also had a few stories of people who encountered rougarous, which apparently seemed to be a lot more common than say, you would you think. you have found so many stories. I know. <laughs> that's why people and their encounters. I know. I was like, I have to include these. So the Nicholsworth, a local college paper, posted an article titled, Ruguru Remains Strong Figure in Cajun Folklore. In this article, a story from a woman's youth is recounted. She told the story of a young boy who was being followed by a dog, and he decided to cut it with his pocket knife. So yes, sounds similar to the one from earlier. But she goes on to say that the boy saw the dog turn into a man. The boy ran home and told his family what he had seen. Then, according to the woman, quote, The next day, a prominent physician appeared in town with his right arm cut and in a sling. I remember when the physician shot himself here in Lockport. A year later, the boy killed himself and left a letter that the family turned over to the sheriff. Even today, he refuses to let anyone see it. Which could be the whole, like, telling people what yeah. he is. The derider, crazy. Yeah. The derider roadkill is also a popular story connected to the creature. In 1996, a woman named Barbara Mullins discovered an unidentifiable carcass on the side of the road. I hate the word carcass. I know. <laughs> it is gross. <laughs> she claimed it to be the body of a feared Rougarou. Others have speculated it to be either a chupacabra or a devil monkey, two other cryptids, but most people think it was just a dog. <laughs> Under this article were also comments from people. So one comment is from someone named The Hunter, and their comment was posted in 2018. So their comment was so hard to read. They didn't use any punctuation. Their grammar was awful. There was no capitalization. It was just a huge run-on sentence. So I will try to summarize their experience the best I can <laughs> with how they typed it. So this person, let's call him Hunter, has hunted all over America and even in Africa. Hunter had lived in, quote, deep Louisiana up until he was 11. He had heard about Rougarous growing up and always related them to werewolves, which the poster actually spelled as werewolves, like, like W-H-E-R-E, wolves. And I was like, oh, oh, no, where, as in, like, where are you? Yeah. Oh, my God. And I was like, oh, sir. But I digress. So one night, Hunter was out hunting a hog when he saw a creature that stood on two legs and reached to be about six to seven feet tall. He wasn't able to make out any additional features other than that he knew it wasn't human, so he took a shot at it. He ended up hitting the creature right in the head. The gun he was using can apparently take down an elephant with one shot. Oh, my God. I don't know why you would need a gun that powerful when hunting a hog. Why are you hunting an elephant? Right. I don't know. So the creature got pissed about being shot in the head. I would. <laughs> so he lunged and started to run at Hunter from about 200 yards away. So Hunter shot it again, this time in the chest, and that set the creature running off into the woods. Hunter went searching for the creature by following the blood trail and footprints, but close to dawn, he lost the trail, so he finally headed home. Well, later that night, there was a story of a man whose body had been found with two large holes resembling bullet holes. But the bullet hole idea was ruled out as there was no lead or powder found in the wounds. But what's even more, the man's body had been drained of all of its blood. Yeah. This man's death was chalked up to being used in a satanic ritual. The poster feels like he killed a Ruguru, which he referred to by the other common name of Loop Guru. He ends his story by saying, quote, 
Now, to me, it sounds like I killed a loop guru, but hey, maybe it's still out there and just really pissed off. <laughs> so for those who love the Ruguru and want to celebrate the swamp and the creature, you can attend the Ruguru Festival, which is held in the city of Huma on the last Saturday in October. So there you have it. Some of the more spooky and creepy roads and bridges in Louisiana and the creature. It sounds like a common theme here that you just should never drive at night. You never know what or who you may encounter if you do so. Also, the roads in New Orleans are... Not good. No. I mean, even the sidewalks. <laughs> Tree roots come up. Every, like, you have to look down. Yeah. You have to look down. I look down anyway when I walk. Just, I'm I do too. tripping. I do too. But like this, like, you will break an ankle if you don't. <laughs> well, then just don't go out at night. Because you could go down a creepy road, have creepy hitchhikers, see a creepy creature, you know. And then Ruguru is such a fun word to say. That's why I said it so many times. It's okay. So Mackenzie. Yes, ma'am. What are you talking about? Oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> so, uh, like I said earlier, my dad is from New Orleans. So, my whole dad's side of the family is, is from that area. My grandparents still live down there. So, I'm thankful that I get to go visit a bunch because I love New Orleans. I yeah. contemplated moving there for a little bit. Like, you did? Weren't you going to go to college there? Yeah. I, the whole nine. Yeah. I really just love it there. Love it there. Beautiful, beautiful city. Just and you love the heat too. Like you would have done good there. Yeah, I mean, I went. I went to visit my grandparents after my freshman year of college, and my arm was broken. <laughs> and it was May, which for Louisiana is hot. Yeah. I mean, I was sweaty, but I was fine. Yeah. I like the warmth. I know you do. I do not. I like the fall weather. That is my ideal weather. They don't get fall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like the fall. So, given New Orleans' rich history. I really wanted to focus on Louisiana voodoo. So I wanted to talk about Louisiana voodoo and its history, beliefs, and some of its practitioners. I also talk about a lot of misconceptions with voodoo. Okay. And some stories where voodoo was used as, like, an excuse for committing a crime. Mm -hmm. um, most of them take place outside of Louisiana. Okay. I also have some cool stories of how it was used, like, voodoo had been used for healing mm -hmm. and, like, for good, essentially. So, I also wanted to read this excerpt from one of the sources that I found because I felt like it really kind of encapsulated, 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 <laughs> encapsulated kind of the whole religion and, and belief system. Okay. Okay. Voodoo as a religion and worldview is dramatic, larger than life, and can be all-encompassing. It has enthralled and frightened outsiders and is a culture of total immersion and belief for its adherents. Its benefits are many. It unites communities. It gives power to the powerless. And as Brenna Osbay says, and she's like a researcher person that I come across a lot mm -hmm. in my research when I was doing this. It is a highly complex, deceptively simple set of principles, beliefs, and what have you. It is much that could heal you of whatever it is in your life that needs healing. So that was a nice... Yeah, a nice little spin on it. Yeah. So how it's normally conceived. Right, exactly. So I'm going to go over the misconceptions first. Okay. And then I'm going to go through the history, specifically the history of Louisiana voodoo, because mm -hmm. there's voodoo all across the yeah. world. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And based on where it is, things might vary slightly. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm focusing specifically on how voodoo got to Louisiana and New Orleans. Okay. I'm going to go over kind of some of the their beliefs that they have, some of the rituals, why they 
what the rituals are used for. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, you cannot talk about Louisiana Voodoo without talking about Marie Laveau. Of course. So I am going to go over her and her story. And then that's after that is when I'll talk about voodoo being used for both good and evil. Okay, so some misconceptions. And there was a whole bunch that I read about, but I picked ones that I felt like people could connect with more. Mm-hmm. So the first misconception is that voodoo isn't a real religion. Voodoo is considered a syncretic religion. A syncretic religion is a combination of various parts of two belief systems. So, for example, in Haiti, most Haitians who practice voodoo uh, do not consider voodoo their primary religion. Only about 2% of Haitians identify voodoo as their primary religion. More than half of the Haitians really consider themselves Roman Catholics, taking traditional practices of both Catholicism and voodoo. Interesting. Which is kind of the big thing in Louisiana, too, is kind of combining Catholicism and these Interesting. voodoo traditions, yeah. which I'll get into more. Voodoo is condemned by the Catholic Church. This stems from Hollywood's dark interpretation of voodoo. Both Catholicism and voodoo are very spiritual religions and have become intertwined throughout the years. There are even some spirits in voodoo that have Catholic counterparts, including Mary and St. Peter. Some voodoo practitioners have been baptized in the Catholic Church. Marie Laveau was a Catholic, devout Catholic, Oh, by the way. Pope John Paul II attended a voodoo ceremony in the early 90s and talked about the fundamental goodness of voodoo. Another misconception, which I feel like is a big one, voodoo dolls are evil, Mm -hmm. are used for evil. Yeah. This misconception comes from Hollywood's version of voodoo, where someone will stab straight pins into the doll, hoping that it would cause pain to whoever it's representing. Yeah. The doll is actually representing someone you would like to bring goodness to. So you might put a pin in to put a picture of the person, but that's the only pins that you're going to put in. Mm -hmm. You might also include flower petals, money, and anything else that might satisfy the spirits. Oh, that's cute. Right? Voodoo practices and black magic. Another Mm -hmm. misconception brought on by Hollywood. (laughs) Because they usually show people practicing black magic through sacrifice. Okay, so I'm going to read a part from the website that I found these misconceptions on. That kind of touches on... To me, it kind of explains why there might be this misconception aside from just Hollywood. Okay. So for voodoo, usually from different videos I've seen and different uh, articles and things like that, some of it call them call it white magic Mm -hmm. and that's usually coming in from yeah like good stuff good stuff what this website said was that there's a form of spiritual possession called red magic okay so it says when a practitioner conjures an evil spirit instead of a benevolent one or they are bribed by such a spirit to do something ominous it's called red magic the coloration comes from the spirit itself so when a person lets one of these evil spirits take possession of their bodies their eyes are said to turn red which indicates that an evil spirit is present. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Other than the red classification, voodoo spirituality is neither malevolent or benign. So in terms of white and black magic, simply don't apply. Okay. And there's no black magic. It's just not a thing. Oh. They always refer to it as white magic. If they are going to refer to it as magic, that's always what I've seen is just white. Oh. Yeah. And then last, one of the last misconceptions I want to go over is that voodoo is used for personal gain. So while voodoo can be used for personal growth, one of the biggest parts of voodoo centers around healing. It could be healing an individual or an entire village. Definitely one of the main things I noticed in my research was that it was all about, a lot of it is, you know, helping those who need help, Mm -hmm. whatever capacity that may be. So I wanted to, again, read from this website. Elizabeth McAllister, a scholar of African religions at Wesleyan University, pointed out, quote, you have to remember that in Haiti, there is one doctor for every 10,000 citizens. So oh, my the, gosh. Mm-hmm. 
So the burden of health and psychiatric care and pastoring falls on traditional religious healers. Priests and priestesses are the front line of social services for most of the people. As a result, the faith doesn't concern itself with personal gain for the person performing a ritual. It's all about community healing. McAllister further wrote that Haitians should have biomedical health care, but the government and the international community haven't come through, so they have to rely on who is there for them. Wow. Mm -hmm. There was other misconceptions, but I wanted to highlight those ones because I felt like those were the big ones. The ones people think about. Yeah, people know of. So, now that you know that those are misconceptions, here's (laughs) some of its history. And remember, I'm focusing on... It's conceptions. (laughs) (laughs) I'm focusing on Louisiana voodoo. Mm -hmm. And so, it's going to bring in parts of where voodoo kind of comes from. Okay. But it's mainly focused on that. So, if, you know, you... Haitian voodoo and Louisiana voodoo are very similar, and I'll get into that. But West Africa, like an African voodoo, tends to be a little bit different. Okay. So, at least that's what it seems based on what I read. Yeah. So, like many religions, voodoo may look different depending on the region or country you're in. All voodoo comes from West Africa and were brought to the Western world during the transatlantic slave trade. Louisiana voodoo is a syncretic, syncretism, where it's already hard to say without the ism, <laughs> religion that uses ideas from traditional West African religion and Roman Catholic and parts of Haitian voodoo. So, another thing is that voodoo is like the... From what I read, it seems like the quote-unquote whitewashed version. Okay. And so Haitian, when I was watching this video, he pronounced it as voodoo, which is V-O-D-O-U, instead of the voodoo that we're used to. The double O's. So if I say voodoo, it's the same thing. Okay. The French arrived in Louisiana in 1699 and brought the first group of enslaved Africans in 1719. The Spanish took control of the territory in 1763 and stayed in control until it sold the land to the United States in 1803. Religions of the West African slaves combined with the Catholicism of the French and Spanish settlers are the basis of Louisiana voodoo. Under these governments, voodoo did not experience strong persecution. In northern Louisiana and other southern colonies, enslaved families were usually broken up and spread to different plantations. In southern Louisiana, families and communities were kept more intact, and that enabled their cultural traditions, languages, and beliefs to continue. Early Louisiana voodoo would wear charms and amulets for protection, healing, or harm. They would use plant root, plants and roots that had been brought from Africa and preserved in Louisiana. The openness of the African beliefs allowed for Catholic influences that came from the French and Spanish. Around that time that America bought Louisiana, the Haitian Revolution was taking place in St. Domingo. Overthrowing the French colony, colonial government and establishing the independent Republic Haiti, many Haitians who were fleeting the war came to Louisiana and brought Haitian voodoo with them. When the French first brought enslaved Africans over to Louisiana, around 80% were from the Bambara people from the Senegal River Basin. Haitian voodoo is a syncretic religion that derived from Fon and Yoruba with Roman Catholic influences. Because there was a large migration of Haitians during this time, they converted many of the native-born Louisiana African Americans to their religion. Thus, the reason that Haitian voodoo plays a large role in the formation of Louisiana voodoo. The first meetings of voodoo were faced with police disruption, and so many of the meetings took place in Bayou St. John and along the shores of Lake Pontchartrain. And I'm really proud of myself that I know how to pronounce it just because I know. That was actually pretty impressive. Thank you. There's also some really fun words like street names and stuff down there that I just are <laughs> great. <laughs> I love saying them. 
Although voodoo was never outrightly banned, white plantation owners feared that there would be a slave rebellion. In the early 1800s, there was an ordinance issued that prohibited slaves from dancing on days other than Sunday and only in specific locations. The main location was in the Congo Square in New Orleans. Voodoo dance and rituals continued in secret. During the Civil War, the Union Army occupied New Orleans and wanted to suppress voodoo. In 1863, 40 women were arrested at a voodoo dance ceremony. The suppression of voodoo continued after the Civil War and due to white writers expressing concern that voodoo rituals would bring together white women and black men. By the late 1800s, New Orleans authorities clamped down on voodoo, using it as evidence to bolster white claims that Africans were inferior. Mm. Something that I realized was that when the French and Spanish controlled the area, not that, you know, they were any better in the sense because they still had enslaved people, Mm -hmm. but they would allow them to, um, it's like, it seemed like almost like a day off on Sundays. Okay. And that's when they would usually get together. And that's kind of how, like earlier when I was talking about the African traditions, like being able to stay intact, that was part of the reason because- They were close to their families and able to, like, practice. Able to meet. And then as soon as America bought it, obviously. I can't say I'm surprised. Right. As voodoo worship of deities and ancestors began to decline in early parts of the 20th century, more rituals were taking place to control or influence events and people. This practice was often referred to as hoodoo. I have heard of that, yes. Mm -hmm. Specialists in the practice of hoodoo were known as doctors or workers. They would work out of their homes or shops and provide people with grizz going to get more on that later. Okay. Oils and incense. Surprise, surprise. White Anglo-Saxon... <laughs> I even wrote that in there. <laughs> white Anglo-Protestant elite were concerned by these practices and invoked restrictions. Of course. Mm-hmm. Many of these doctors and workers were arrested and fined in the first half of the 20th century. During the Civil Rights Movement, New Orleans tourist industry finally began recognizing African-American culture as an important aspect to the city's history. Tour guides would frequently reference voodoo in their tours of the city. In 1972, the New Orleans Historic Voodoo Museum was created in the French Quarter. Have you been there? Mm-mm. Oh, that sounds like I've not be been there. Actually. actually, pretty cool. Yes, I've been in a voodoo shop before. Okay, but I have not been to the museum. Mm-hmm. By the 1990s, voodoo had a large comeback in the area. Miriam. Chamani established the first and only voodoo spiritual temple, which follows practices of both Haitian voodoo and Cuban Santeria, mm-hmm. which didn't realize that that when the song, I don't practice yeah. Santeria, right in my head till I read this. <laughs> <laughs> Ava K. Jones was, no, was a prominent figure in this new voodoo. She was initiated into both Haitian voodoo and Orisha voodoo, which is an American-based version of Santeria. These groups wanted to bring awareness and understanding of their religion. They created websites, newsletters, and workshops to help spread their message. So, now to kind of go over, what is voodoo? (laughs) Like I mentioned in the misconceptions, voodoo is usually a combination of two religions. In Louisiana voodoo, it is typically Roman Catholicism, closely related to Haitian voodoo. I had seen that, like, in Africa, um, they have ties with uh, Islam. Oh, Mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah. Similar to other monotheistic religions, Louisiana Voodoo believes that there is a single higher being. Mm -hmm. So they do kind of have this single god. Yeah. It's called various names, depending on if you follow Haitian or Louisiana or even African. Mm -hmm. Um, But they they do have this sense of there's one higher being. Yeah. However, they also have, quote, lesser deities. Each of the deities plays a specific role in the religion. So, for example, I hope I'm going to pronounce this right, uh, Block. Danny, 
who was also referred to as Monsieur Danny Voodoo Magian and Grandfather <laughs> Rattlesnake, is usually shown as a serpent and is associated with conflict and the defeat of enemies. And so they had one for love. They had one for... Oh, okay. A whole bunch of different stuff. So kind of like saints that people have, like the saint of whatever. Some of you like that. Oh. <laughs> I'll get into that when I talk about Marie. <laughs> As Haitian voodoo began to have greater influence over Louisiana voodoo, they have divinities called Iwa. Each Iwa is usually associated with certain items, colors, food, drinks, numbers, and they are considered the intermediaries between the gods. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like when you're calling on these spirits and things like that, usually you're looking at one for a specific purpose. Okay. Similar to how in Catholicism, mm-hmm. saints have a specific purpose. Yeah. So there you go. Ancestors and saints play a large role in Louisiana voodoo. Part of the ritual practices is communicating with their ancestors. When Africans were brought to Louisiana, they adopted ideas from Roman Catholicism. Some of the West African deities can be tied to Catholic saints. In the turn of the 21st century, some Louisiana voodoo practitioners call upon these saints or messengers or servants to their ancestors. Some have kept Catholic saints in their original identities instead of associating them with the rest African deities. So that was the other thing that I noticed is that voodoo kind of, it has its variations just like any other religion. Yeah. You know, people have different names for different gods. They have different practices, which I'll go over more. As I keep reading. (laughs) There are various voodoo rituals that each have a purpose, usually sung or danced. Mm -hmm. Uh, These rituals connect deities to the human world. Some Louisiana voodoo practitioners deem St. John's Eve, June 23rd, as an important date. Celebrations could be seen along the shores of Lake Pontchartrain throughout the 19th century. Some congregations continue to celebrate St. John's Eve, while others do not believe it is important to the religion. Yeah. Modern-day practitioners celebrate All Saints Day, which is November 1st, which can be tied to Haitian voodoo. Other Haitian influences include the wearing of white clothing, dancing around a central post called Potomitan. I'm 100% saying these wrong, but I really am trying. Uh, Various offerings, such as drawings or flags, may be used to call upon these spirits. Many rituals call for the spirits to possess the body of the practitioner who they are wishing to heal or bless. So good. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Many practitioners have altars in their homes and places of worship. They use these altars to communicate with their ancestors. There are some records of sacrifices being a part of Louisiana voodoo. Modern-day practitioners may use animal sacrifices during rituals, but they usually cook and eat the animal as part of the ceremony. So it doesn't go to waste. And also, if you keep them in humane conditions, Mm -hmm. you know. And the things we do to people, come on. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) seriously. Some, however, have taken the practice out altogether. Like, um, there is one, they're part of the the only, like, temple. They ban it 100%, no sacrifices. Okay. So. I guess it all... It all depends. Yeah. Some historical rituals have included the presence of a snake. This is also a practice that died out by the end of the 19th century. However, some modern practitioners include snake dances into their practices. Okay. There are charms that can be used to help or harm someone. These charms are called grizz-grizz. These charms, which I mispronounced earlier, are called... <laughs> so, very sorry. Are called gri Some examples of voodoo curses are to place an object inside of the person's pillow that you're trying to curse. Depends on the object. Depends on the curse. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also place a small, like, model of a coffin with the person's name on it and put that on their doorstep. Um, however, there are ways to counter all of these things mm-hmm. that you can do. Some There's some stuff with salt. Somewhere in there. <laughs> salt is always, like, one of the common protecting things. I love me some salt. <laughs> Healing, however, is what plays a dominant role in the 21st century Louisiana voodoo, and they can be used for protection or for luck. 
So I'm going to talk about a very prominent, well-known figure of Marie Laveau. Mm-hmm. Can't talk about Louisiana Voodoo without talking no, about her. No, you really can't. So I felt I need to do that justice, which will bring me to the yeah, yeah. episode because... American Horror Story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Louisiana Voodoo is usually seen as matriarchal because of the large role that priestess have played in the religion. We of, love that. Right? It's a very matriarchal love religion that. as a whole, even in other places. Um, and it talked about, too, like, especially with Marie Laveau because she was a quote-unquote free person of color. Mm -hmm. So while she's obviously still had restrictions on what she could do, she was essentially free. And so they looked at it as, you know, being this, it was like, I think it said something like empower, basically empowering black women and and things like that. Okay. So yeah, and she had a lot to do with that. Most of what is known about Marie Laveau has been passed through the oral tradition of voodoo practitioners. She is believed to have been born in the French Quarter on September 10th, 1794. She was the illegitimate daughter of French plantation owner Charles Laveau and his mistress Marguerite. Marguerite, with no last name. Marie lived on her father's plantation and was educated and studied to become a hairdresser. In 1819, Marie Laveau married Jacques Paris, who was a free person of color from Haiti. He was a carpenter and lived in the French Quarter. St. Louis Cathedral has records of their marriage certificates and Marie's parents. Oh, that's I cool. don't know if you can see them. It just said that it has But it's it. there. It's there. <laughs> Paris was part of the large immigration to New Orleans in 1809 after the Haitian Revolution. This was when Haitian voodoo began to make its mark on Louisiana voodoo. They helped to revive voodoo and other African cultural practices in New Orleans. In 1824, Paris went missing and was eventually presumed dead. Now... It also said in there that Marie said he was dead, and others think that he might have just left. Okay. But. Yeah. Who knows? Marie was left to take care of their two children and began to call herself Widow Paris. The Widow Paris, which apparently was common back then. Mm-hmm. Marie Laveau began working as a hairdresser who catered to the white, wealthy, and Creole women of New Orleans. Creole was first known as the Frenchman who settled in Louisiana. It was eventually used to describe the white Frenchmen and people of color in New Orleans. They were intermixed with black slaves, free people, Native American, and Acadian. That's why. People. Mm, mm -hmm. Yes. Like all hairdressers, Marie became a confidant to these women. They would share stories of their secrets, desires, husbands, lovers, homes, families, mistresses, and even business dealings. Marie also spent some time in nursing. She would assist in minor surgeries, ministering to prisoners on death row, and help nurse the sick in her home. She just sounds like an awesome lady. She is the bee's knees, I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> in 1826, she entered a common law marriage with Louis Christophe Dumsnil de Glapion. Nailed it. Thank you. <laughs> they had 15 children together. Wow. Yep. And Marie left hairdressing to care for their children. Marie became more interested in her mother's African traditional beliefs, and this would lead her to become the voodoo queen of New Orleans that she is known for today. Marie learned most of her craft from a voodoo doctor known as Dr. John, or John Bayou, which is where St. John's Eve comes from. Because mm. he was kind of like one of the original people that's why it's on Lake Pontchartrain, because that's okay. where they would do their ceremonies and things. Okay. Marie would include voodoo and Catholic beliefs and traditions in her practices. She would use things like holy water, incense, and Christian prayers in her ceremonies. By doing so, it helped make voodoo and hoodoo more accepted by the upper class, a.k.a. white people. She became a large public figure during her time as the voodoo queen of New Orleans. She would hold rituals and ceremonies in Congo Square, and she would also have secret meetings in her home, Mansion Blanche, which means White House. Yeah. 
<laughs> uh, Marie would sell Grigri charms, powders that could cure ailments, grant desires, or destroy someone's enemies. She would prepare custom Grigri for anyone in needing of a charm, hex, or curse. She also told fortunes and gave advice on love. Marie would have private rituals out of her home and would perform exorcisms and sacrifices to the spirits. Many feared Marie for her powers. There would be stories of what would happen if you dared cross her <laughs> or offended her. She was mostly known by her admirers as a humanitarian, helping heal the sick. People from all walks of life would look to her for fame, fortune, controlling lovers, burying children, or even getting revenge. Even after her retirement in 1875, Marie continued to work with the poor and imprisoned, occasionally giving a reading from her home. Marie Laveau died on June 15, 1881. She is buried in St. Louis Cemetery in the family crypt. Each year, hundreds of visitors make their way to the tomb, hoping they can call upon the spirit of Marie Laveau. Marie Laveau played an integral part in how Louisiana voodoo is used today. Its main purpose is to serve others and influence life events. Practitioners may do readings, spiritual baths, special diets, prayers, and ceremonies. It is used to help with depression, anxiety, and addictions, and other ailments. It seeks to help those less fortunate. Marie Laveau continues to be a figure in Louisiana voodoo today. Something cool. Shout out to Grandma, always supporting the podcast. She's old school and still sends me letters. <laughs> <laughs> and so she sent me this newspaper article that she found that talks about this famous portrait of Marie Laveau. Mm -hmm. And it's like the one where if you Google it, it, this is the one, like, if you Google her, this is what shows up. Okay. Yeah. And it was supposedly <clears throat> painted by some guy who was known for actually painting a lot of um, Native Americans in their, like, traditional dress. But this lady who's like an art historian, doesn't think that he actually is the one to paint it. It might have been from somebody else. And there are some that say that it's not even her, that it's somebody else. So if you go, so some guy also made a copy of the painting, like the original one, because the, the original one was on loan. Mm -hmm. And so this man was commissioned to, <laughs> to, to paint it so that the museum could still have one. Mm-hmm. And um, apparently now it's not even, it doesn't even say Marie Laveau. It's a oh. um, portrait of a Creole woman wearing a Madras Tijan. But yeah. And so it might not be her. But this is like the most well-known. Very interesting. And it sold very for cool. almost a million dollars. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I thought it was very cool. Shout out to Grandma. Shout out to Grandma. At first when she sent it to me. This was the title that I saw. And I was like, well, that's a little different. That's really sad. I don't want to see that. And then I saw the front side. I was like, oh, not that. Yeah. <laughs> so now to the spooky stuff. So which one should I do first? Good or evil? Let's do good. Okay. And then we'll round it out with evil. So some of them are short stories and some of them are a little bit longer, just depending on what I can find. Um, so one of the stories I found was that in August of 1995, practitioners would try to use voodoo rituals to drive away the crack, cocaine abuse, burglaries, sex work, and assaults in the Bywater area of New Orleans. This one's kind of funny. <laughs> in 2001, voodoo priestess Ava K. Jones performed a ritual to drive away harmful spirits that could keep the New Orleans Saints football team from being <laughs> successful and winning because they hadn't won a Super Bowl since their inception. Yeah. They won their first Super Bowl in 2010. <laughs> so maybe, you know, building up. Working. Maybe, maybe. So this one I'm really excited about because while it wasn't Louisiana voodoo, it's technically Haitian voodoo, but since Louisiana has such a close relationship with it, yeah. I felt like it was a cool story to share anyway. Okay. 
So I um, saw this when I was watching Unexplained on Netflix, which all of you have to watch if you like this podcast because it literally is everything that we talk about. <laughs> and it is so cool. So this woman is lives in England and she starts experiencing really intense pain in her arm. Doctors couldn't figure out why she had this pain and she was she was unable to do things. And she became very depressed because she couldn't get yeah. rid of this pain and she thought she'd have to live with it forever. So she decided, let's try some voodoo. Worst comes to worst, it just doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so feeling that she had tried everything else, this may be the answer that she was looking for. She traveled to Haiti and visited with a voodoo priest. He used candles and flags with various colors, among other offerings during the ceremony, which she touches on in the episode, gets more specific about mm -hmm. what he used. And I think he explained to her how it ties in with whatever spirits he was calling upon. Okay. So he begins to feel around the area that the woman's pain is coming from. When he is done, he told the woman that she had an evil black cat spirit that had attached itself to her, which okay. is what was causing her pain. Mm -hmm. He didn't know why it was there or how it got there. And it wasn't until the woman was on her way home from the airport, she was like going up an escalator or something and she had to carry her suitcase, mm -hmm. something that she was not able to do beforehand. And all of a sudden she was like, oh my God, wait a minute. Yeah. I'm not in pain anymore. So the big thing that you know, I saw when I was doing all of my research with voodoo is that it is mainly used for healing purposes. Yeah. And it's it's used for helping the less fortunate. Mm -hmm. And this idea of it, you know, yeah, there's curses and things like that. Mm -hmm. But the person probably deserves it if it's going to be a curse. <laughs> so, how it's used for evil. So, it is important to note both anthropologists and psychologists have agreed on a psychosomatic effect that curses can have on people. Okay. What tends to happen to someone when they believe they are cursed and those around them are encouraging this idea is that the person can become very depressed and stop caring for themselves and even lash out violently. Which then is like mm -hmm. that self-fulfilling prophecy kind exactly. of thing. Which is something that the, in the episode that the voodoo thing came from, it, mm -hmm. it kind of talks about different religions and ceremonies and things like that. And it does address the fact that, like, you know, when you deeply believe something yeah. and how it can mm -hmm. affect you. So the curse becomes more of a self-fulfilling prophecy, like you said, <laughs> and a person can destroy their life. This one scientist called it psychogenic death. So, oh. Yes. Hold on. Let me read. Because it just sounded so much better when it came from them. <laughs> Here we go. Uh, Lester gives us a Western example of psychogenic death to give the reader an idea of what the effect of voodoo hex could have on a true believer. Midor, I don't know who that is, described the case of a man who had esophageal cancer and uncontrollable diabetes who decided it was time to die. The physician managed to motivate the man to live through Christmas, which he did, but he died soon after New Year's Day. The autopsy revealed that the diagnosis of cancer was a false positive. He did have a small nodule on, in his liver and a mild case of pneumonia. Midor argued that he died with cancer and pneumonia, but not of either of them okay. being the cause of his death. Yeah. He suggested that the case meant the criteria for a hex death because the man and his family believed the earlier physician's pronouncement that he was going to die and he acted as if he was going to. Yeah. So because this man and his family believed entirely on the doctor's diagnosis, he may have unwillingly committed to what Merlot refers to as, quote, passive suicide. Oh. So just think of that going into this. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to talk about some of the stories where the person has used voodoo for the, quote, cause of their crime. Some of these stories are local legends, and some are stories of people committing horrific crimes in the name of voodoo, mm -hmm. which is where the whole misconception comes from. Yeah. The first story I'm going to share does take place in Louisiana. Julia Brown was a local healer in Frenier, Louisiana, in the early 20th century. 
She would travel throughout the village and perform rituals for people. She was known as having the magic touch. The people of this village began to take advantage of Julia, demanding that she help them. Julia decided that anyone she deemed to be disrespectful or ungrateful for what she would do for them would curse them and give them scary predictions of their future. In the week leading up to her death, Julia would sing a song that was a curse for the village. She would sing, quote, one day I'm going to die and I'm going to take you all with me. When Julia died, the whole village went with her. <laughs> went to, sorry, not went with her. <laughs> when Julia died, the whole village went to her funeral to pay their respects, mostly because they were fearful of upsetting her. As they were nailing her coffin closed, a terrible hurricane blew through the town. All but two people died. As promised, when she died, the whole village went with her. Legend has it that Julia Brown's curse lives on to today. Developers have tried and have been unsuccessful in rebuilding the town. Wow. So there you go. In Brockton, Massachusetts, Florence Ballou had left her abusive husband, John Michael Ballou. Mr. Ballou had turned to voodoo to stalk and intimidate his ex-wife. Oh. Right. Florence found ritual candles on her doorstep one evening and filed a restraining order with the local police. Unfortunately, that was not enough to stop Jean-Michael Ballou from killing his wife in May of 2014. She left behind four children. Aww. Ballou was arrested for trying to cross the Canadian border. And, of course, we all enjoy a good Florida man story. <laughs> This one, however, ends in tragedy. Valdano Ritchie was convinced that he had been cursed by Dennis Donahue. Ritchie said that Donahue sprayed voodoo water on him and had stolen his soul. Ritchie said that the only way to get his soul back was to kill Donahue. So, in 2012, he went to Donahue's house and shot him. And he now faces first-degree murder charges. Jeez. Yep. Most of what I saw, though, was about voodoo healing. I was got knee-deep in all these really great <laughs> videos and and things like that and... You know, I just thought it was important to touch on because while voodoo can be seen as, quote, scary. Yeah, because, I mean, know? that's how you see it. That's how you hear oh, yeah. about it. Like, if that's not something that you're, um, like, exposed to every day, yeah, you're yeah. only getting the I negative connotations of it. so much, so much as – because I had those misconceptions. Yeah. So um, – I feel like everyone does. And yeah. then you hear about, you know, here's what it actually is mm -hmm. and here's all the good things about it. And you're like, oh, Hollywood yeah. has led me wrong. <laughs> yeah. So, speaking of Hollywood – so I was watching this one video of a, a man who uh, gives tours, like voodoo tours. Okay. So he will do various ceremonies, rituals, things like that, and kind of explain what they're used for. Like, I mean, he blessed a tree. Okay. You know, and I know the tree had some sort of um, important significance, but it's like, you know, yeah, blessing. Okay. And so, and there are like things that outsiders don't know mm -hmm. you know there's certain aspects of it that oh, of course yeah yeah that are kept secret and yeah. things like that they open with misconceptions and he addressed how what's the show american horror Story? yeah that one with that season mm -hmm. coven yep apparently completely misconstrues yes so it talks <laughs> about marie laveau like she's a very main character she's yes. a hairdresser and all of that mm -hmm. stuff which i thought was really cool when you've said that and she does work on everyone's hair, and she has, like, her whole shop and everything. But she, in the show, has sold her soul to the devil. Yeah. Well, Papa Legba. And he, she has to do awful things to keep living forever. Like, that's kind of the deal that she will live forever. Yeah, that's not true. And so she's still living forever, <laughs> and she's doing these awful things every year to do that. And, yeah, she does all of, like, the voodoo to curse the other coven yeah. and to curse different spirits and like yeah, yeah. so she's very much seen as kind of like the evil person no no, no. she's very good yeah very good. yeah <laughs> hearing your thing but it was just it was ironic because one of the first things i talk about is misconceptions and he immediately talked about 
that episode in that in that yeah that episode specifically and how i mean it, it is a great season but and he said he said he's like i love american horror yeah. story i watch it all the time and he did say he was like it was a good season but there are especially because being a oh i can imagine yeah not ordained but uh i forget what they call it but he's a voodoo priest mm-hmm. so you know he definitely knows the ins knows and everything yeah everything um it was just all very fascinating and so if you know, I barely just scratched the surface of, oh, I can imagine. of all these things. I would love to see more of, like, voodoo stories of, like, healing people. I think yeah. part of the hard part was that there's not so many that take place in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. It's more so in Haiti and West Africa. And so I wanted to kind of keep it as yeah. local as I could. But it's very interesting and very fascinating to read about. It sounds it. Yes. That was a lot of information. That was actually really cool. I was looking forward to this. Yay. I'm glad. I was also really excited. I love New Orleans specifically because yeah. my family's from there and it's just an amazing, beautiful town. So much rich history, so much culture. We went to go back and visit right after Katrina hit. Mm. Probably like Katrina hit in August. I think we probably went October time frame. Oh, wow. Maybe a little bit later. You could still see the water line mm-hmm. on some of the poles and buildings and things like that from where it had flooded. Wow. And just the atmosphere was so different. Mm-hmm. You know, it was very melancholy and just... I bet. It, even though it was sunny, it just felt like there was a big... It's a very somber. Right. Somber yeah. gray cloud over it. It's much better now. It's more lively. It's, yeah. You know, you can tell that it's kind of coming back alive and, mm-hmm. and things like that. And I'm grateful that my grandparents' home was okay. Yeah. My dad says that apparently Noren's kind of like a fishbowl. Mm-hmm. And so the further in you go, it's going to be worse versus if you're on the outer edge because yeah. you're higher up. So, yeah, hopefully one day I can visit. <laughs> Girl, I'm going to take you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I think we've talked enough, so we're not going to give you all of our socials and stuff. You know where to find us. <laughs> <laughs> Did I say it? Oh, yes. Stay scary. Stay safe.